bulletin this morning. You'll be able to follow along with us. Last Sunday, uh, we started this series, Good Kings, and, and the first king that we looked at was a guy named Asa. We said that our goal in the series is to reveal the unique traits in these men that God used to further his purposes. Well, King Asa had a son, and King Asa's son was a guy named Jehoshaphat. And, boy, that's a long name. And I didn't really, I've tried to think of a way that we could shorten it, like give him a little bit of a nickname today, but I can't even really think of a good way to shorten it. So we're just going to go at Jehoshaphat. That's the king we're going to see this morning. Our text is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to read there about six verses, starting in verse number 27. And if you're physically able, would you stand for a reading this morning? And I'm encouraged by everything that God has already allowed to take place in our service. And I hope that you will invest these few minutes in the message into listening to what God has for you. Verse number 27, 2 Chronicles 20. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them, to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. And Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And uh, that's all of our reading this morning. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless now in these short minutes as we speak the word of God. And I pray that you would unite our hearts together around this truth that we'll give this morning these traits in Jehoshaphat's life that you used. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In our life groups this morning, uh, in the first hour, we saw some of the negatives in Jehoshaphat's life and some of the messes that he made by doing things on his own and by not following God's leading. But we find that here in, in this passage that we've just read uh, that he was 35 years old when he started to reign. And I, I thought it was a very interesting thing uh, with these kings and all their different ages because uh, age sometimes is, is kind of a quirky thing. Uh, if you're a 40-year-old football player, you are ancient, and you are broken down, and your body's falling apart. If you are a 40-year-old politician, you're a baby, right? And don't even allow 40-year-olds to basically do anything because you're so young. And if you're 20 in gymnastics, then you're getting up there in years. But in golf, uh, people play in the major tournaments up in their 60s. And I always love, uh, this year the Olympics are going to happen again, and I love to watch uh, some of these these amateurs compete, and they work really hard, and, and then you get a 17 or 18-year-old who does really well at swimming or, or gymnastics or whatever it is, and uh, they interview them. And uh, when they ask him a question, one of these kids says, uh, back when I was young, I dreamed of, right? Or they say, uh, I've been wanting to do this since I was little. And uh, you know, age in some ways is a relative term. Many of these kings started very young ages, some as young as seven years old. And was, we said last Sunday that Asa was pretty young, but Jehoshaphat, he began at a much more mature age of 35. 
And so let's see how many people are mature in the room today. How many people are at least 35? Okay, so, so the rest of you, so, no, she's laughing. <laughs> and we, we always tell our kids that maturity and age are not equal to each other, right? It doesn't really matter how old you are, you can still be immature, right? And maturity is not really on your age, it's on your decisions. But it's interesting that he's 35 years old as he begins to reign over Judah. And we're going to see some of these unique traits that God used in his life. And let's start by talking about the fact that he was seeking God. And I want you to go back to the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 20 here, and let's just read some of the backstory that led us to the passage we read. So, 2 Chronicles 20, verse number 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. If you want a tongue twister, folks, try that Hazazon Tamar for a while. Now look at these next two verses. And Jehoshaphat feared, and I underline this next phrase, it's so good, and set himself to seek the Lord. Have you ever set yourself? You ever been, it's a horrible thing to bring up, maybe you've been in a car accident. And sometimes you get in a car accident where you don't see it coming, right? You get blindsided. Maybe you've been in a car accident where you saw it coming. And the milliseconds seem like minutes. And you know that it's coming and you know you're about to get hit. And you set yourself and your body tenses. Or, or maybe you see somebody who's about to run into you when you're walking. Or when you were a kid, somebody was about to punch you because they said your mom was this and you said your mom was that. Sometimes we set ourselves to do things. Je Jehoshaphat, he set himself. He, he readied himself to do one thing and to seek the Lord. It says he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, now look at this, I underline this phrase too, they came to seek the Lord. So he sought the Lord and then they came to seek the Lord. And when Judah was invaded by this massive enemy, I like what Jehoshaphat did and I think it's a great model for, the, for us. He took his fear directly to God. Now in the modern age, where do people take most of their emotional things? To Facebook. <laughs> All right? They take their fears. They take their failures. They take their victories. They take their joy. They take their sorrow. And it's okay to have Facebook. I'm not ragging on that. What I'm saying is God designed us in a way where we are supposed to take our level four and five feelings and needs to him first. That's where we're supposed to go with them. Do you know God can handle your fears better than anybody else? God can handle your anger better than anybody else, even if you're angry at him. Some people come and they talk to you, I'm so angry at God. Have you told him about it? No, I'm too angry to tell him. Well, tell him. Look, you read the Bible. Have you ever read the Psalms? 
And David's going to God and saying, God, what are you doing here? You, I tell you what, I'm going to my enemies and you turned your back. And uh, we've got to learn, folks, to take these deep emotions in our lives directly to God. Jehoshaphat took his fear and he took it directly to God. And when he did, he proclaimed a fast throughout the land. Can you imagine in the modern United States for a leader of our nation to stand up and say, you know what, folks, it's time we get serious and seek God's face, and I think we should fast as a nation. Well, it seems pretty far-fetched, doesn't it? Do you know that there are presidents in our history who've done that? Do you know that in the early days of our nation, by the way, people try to sell you on this uh, separation of church and state thing. It's not in the Constitution, right? It's not a declaration of independence. It was in a, a letter that was written uh, between Tom and Thomas Jefferson at a group called the Danforth Baptist Association. And he wrote this letter to them to, to assure them that the Constitution was not going to take away their right for freedom of religion. It was not going to institute any state church you say, Thomas Jefferson, he wrote about separation of church and state, and blah, blah, blah. Do you know where Thomas Jefferson went to church? He went to church inside of the Capitol building, where they held church every Sunday morning and had a preacher stand up and preach the Word of God. Inside the Capitol building. Now you can barely pray or do anything on a public street in the United States. We've gone so far, and we need leaders Spiritual leaders, political leaders, family leaders who will be willing to say we've got to seek God's face. It may be time for us to fast. It may be time for us to get serious and to pray. And he proclaimed a fast in the land. His example of seeking God caused people to seek God's face throughout the land. Let's keep reading because it's, it gets so, so neat here in verse number 5. And Jehoshaphat stood... In the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court. Now, here's what's interesting. Jehoshaphat was a king. He's a political leader, right? He was not a priest. The priests and the prophets were normally the ones who did this, but there wasn't one stepping up to the plate, and so the king stood up, and he stood right in the house of the Lord, and he said some things. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, are not thou the God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, and look at what he said, if. When evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. Now, I have to tell you, I double underline verse 12. Right? Now, when I get serious, I double underline. I double underline verse 12. 
O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Now look what he says. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. <laughs> but our eyes are upon thee. Isn't that a good verse, Virgil? Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And I'd submit to you, if we would get on our faces before God a little more and say, God, we don't know what to do, then we'd receive a lot more grace and mercy. You know what our problem is? We, we always think we do know what to do. We've got everything figured out. We know how to parent. We know how to be a husband. And we know how to be a wife. And we know how to do our job. And we know how to have church. And we know how to get more programs into the church. We know it all. We've got it all figured out. And God's standing outside the door of so many of our hearts and families and churches saying, I want in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, would he open the door and I'll come in with him and sup with him and he with me. I love what he says. Our eyes are on thee. We don't know what to do. We're not ready to face this enemy. And so he was seeking God. But then we see the second part, seeing glory. Seeing glory. Verse number 13, we keep going here. And we're doing a lot of reading today because the Bible speaks for itself. And it's really the best commentary of itself. Look at verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. This was a family affair. Everybody was involved in this. The whole group of hundreds of thousands of people stood together and they said, God, we want you to intervene. We can't do it without you. We don't know where to turn if you don't help us. Now, this doesn't happen very often, but it happened here. Normally in the Bible, you see a prophet who stands up and points his finger in the face of a king or political leader and gets him moving. Here, the king is the one who stood up and said, we got to have your help, God. Look what happens in verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Oh, you yearn for that here in these modern days. You know, we have the same Spirit of God that they had. He works in a, maybe a different economy, a little bit different way. Actually, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we need to invite the Spirit as we just sang a moment ago. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my life to work. Here's what he said. Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you. So God answered back. I like this. They all went to God, and they stood before God, and the families were present, and everybody was there, and now God answered back. And the Lord said to them, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. And here is a triple underline. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Boy, if we would just take the battle and release it to God, we could see some things happen. 
But we try to find it ourselves, and we try to do it in our own intellect, and we try to do it with our own energy. We try to do it with our own resources. And God says, if you just let go of the battle and let me fight the battle, it's my battle. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness drool. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Isn't that good? Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah, at Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go down against them, for the Lord will be with you. <laughs> and so they saw glory. The answer comes back to those who are trusting in God. The battle's not yours, it's God's. All the Lord asked his people to do was to stand still and see his salvation. And when God wants to work in our lives, there are times where we ought to just stop and let him work. And quit trying to manipulate the problem. And quit trying to intervene on your own. And quit trying to fix it according to how you want it. And try to pull the strings so that you can get it the way you think it should be. You are not as smart as God. Just not. You don't have anything close to the wisdom that God has. And when God tells you, stand still see my salvation. Here's how we should respond. Look at verse 18. Such a model of how we should respond. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. By the way, that's the Old Testament definition of worship. He bowed his head with his face to the ground. And because he did, look what happened next. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord Worshiping the Lord. This is before the battle was even fought. There's no battle yet. And the whole congregation, hundreds of thousands of people, led by their king, falls on his face, not before an ancient ruler, not before somebody from another tribe, not from some other leader of the world. He falls on his face before the Almighty God. And the entire congregation joins him. In worship. They're going to see God's glory. Why? Because they were willing to worship. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord of God of Israel with a loud voice on high. So this is the a praise and worship service. The people are worshiping with their faces before God and the Levites and the singers stand up and begin to praise out loud. What happens next is truly astonishing. We see this third part, singing gladly. Singing gladly. Verse number 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth in the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed soldiers to go out in front of the battle. 
Nope. And when the king had finished, he appointed servants to go and lead the way. No, not what happened. He appointed singers? Singers. He appointed singers unto the Lord. And they're going to go out to battle against hundreds of thousands of barbaric soldiers singing. (laughs) What are they going to sing about? That they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. (laughs) It is the strangest battle plan in history alongside maybe walking around Jericho. What a strange battle plan. Hey, let's get all the singers together. You guys are going to go out front. Here's what we're going to sing about. We're going to sing about the beauty of God's holiness. And we're going to sing about how his mercy endures forever and how he's such a good God. And I want you to lead the way to the battleground. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come up against Judah And they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. So God has this incredible plan that the singers are going to lead the army. And as they begin to praise the God of heaven, he causes the opposing tribes to begin to destroy each other. Look how it turns out. Verse 24. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. Say, Pastor, how should we take care of ISIS? Right? How do we take care of this problem of Muslim terrorists, uh, another 50 people killed in a mass attack in Orlando, Florida last night, early this morning, 3 a.m. In a nightclub by a second-generation Muslim from Afghanistan. Pastor, how, how do we go about it? How do we fix the problem? Maybe we should turn back to God. Maybe the answer is not in armies. Maybe the answer is not in policies. Maybe the answer is still in the name of the one who moves heaven and earth by his very words. Maybe the answer is in God himself and God alone. And maybe we should stop seeking for artificial answers. I'm here to tell you, no matter who you vote for, Donald Trump's not the answer to ISIS. Hillary Clinton's not the answer to ISIS. And neither is Mitt Romney if he jumps in. God alone is going to solve this problem. And it's only if the people who call him by name humble themselves. That's worship. Fall on their faces and pray and seek his face. And here's the one we don't want as American Christians. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal the land. The answer is 
are still in the old black book. The answers are still in the way that God has given us his word. I love verse 25. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves. Look at this. More than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. Now just think about this for a minute. You walk into a jewelry store, right? Because God says, hey, just take whatever you feel like taking. Right? How many pounds of expensive jewelry can you carry out of the jewelry store? Right? A gallon of milk's eight pounds. How many think you could carry at least 20 pounds of jewelry? Right? How many think maybe you could carry 40 or 50 pounds of jewelry? Now, if you're in a pinch and you really wanted the spoil, you may even be able to carry 100 pounds of jewelry. It took them three days, three days to gather the spoil. And they began singing gladly before they ever went into the battle, and they never stopped. And so we see some of the things that are taking place here. They're seeking God. They're seeing glory. They're singing gladly. But now we see this last section, standing grateful. Standing grateful. Verse number 26. And on the fourth day, they've been at it for three days. On the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah. You know what the valley of Barakah is? The valley of blessing. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Barakah unto this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them, to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets in the house of the Lord. And we read how the realm grew quiet and that God gave them rest round about and their enemies feared to go and attack, attack them because of the great victory God had given. And I love this section because King Jehoshaphat and the people stood in awe of what God had done in their behalf. I wonder, when's the last time you stood in awe of God. When's the last time that you just stood there or you knelt there or you fell on your face there and you said, God, I'm just overwhelmed by how great you are. I'm just overwhelmed by your goodness. The things that a society stands in awe of tells God everything he needs to know. And when we stand in awe of the latest tabloid cover, or we stand in awe of the latest movie, we stand in awe of the latest sports thing, we lose sight of the only one who deserves our awe, the awesome God. And here they are, standing grateful before this mighty omnipotent one and they realize we were helpless 
We told God, we don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And God, you were more than enough for the battle. In 2016, God's still more than enough. He's still more than enough for the battle going on in your life. For that relationship issue. For that work issue. For that family problem. For that grandchild you're concerned about. God is still more than enough. But we have to be willing to come before him and say, God, I can't carry this. I can't do this. I am helpless before you. But I just want you to know you're a good God. You're the only one who can do this. You're the only God who has answers for this. And if we would be willing to do that, folks, the same God who brought this great victory can bring victory into our lives. The question is, are we willing to do it? We talk about sacrifice. You know, sacrifice in American Christianity is very little. Some people say, God, I sacrificed. I went to church today. There's Christians in Kenya in the last seven years who have given up their lives protecting women and children inside of church buildings. Just because they were from different tribes, in some cases just because they were called Christians. There are buildings in the Middle East that have stood for over 3,000 years that are being torn down right now. Just because they have some point in history been associated with Christianity. And instead of despair, and instead of this artificial sacrifice that we come up with in our minds... What if we came before God, not as an individual, not as a family, but as the family of God? But what if we said, God, you're still more than enough. You're the only one who can solve it. You're the only one who can fix it. We're helpless. We don't know. We can't do it. But what if our hearts were before God that way today? Let's bow, and as we bow, I'm going to invite you, if God has spoken to your heart today that he's enough and you're not, would you just come and bow before him today and let's pray together?